1: Dale Jarrett is going to win the Daytona 500.
0: Nobody was talking. It was all in my hands as to what I needed to do.
1: Wallace spins. Wallace's car goes on its nose.
0: It went in the air, hit the ground, then flew back up, and I flew over the start-finish line. The Motor Racing Network presents the 1993
2: season, 25 years later.
3: Mark Martin riding an unbelievable winning streak. I didn't realize when I won it because we were on such a roll. It was 10 years or 15 probably before I realized that I had won the Southern 500.
1: The race winner, Rusty Wallace, and the championship driver, Dale Earnhardt, each carrying flags honoring their fallen friends, Alan Kulwicki and Davey Allison.
0: Davey and Alan Kulwicki were on everybody's mind all year long, right to the very end. And we always had those flags in our truck.
2: From the Motor Racing Network studios in Concord, North Carolina, here is your host, Susie Armstrong.
4: Thank you for joining us for Part 7 of MRN Presents the 1993 season, 25 years later. After a strong run in the inaugural Cup Clash at New Hampshire International Speedway, Davey Allison and the Robert Yates racing crew felt confident that the team had turned a corner. But those good vibes would soon turn to despair. His crew chief Larry McReynolds remembers the evening after the race, and the fateful 24 hours to follow.
2: Yeah, we had, we had left New Hampshire and uh, Davey, of course, had his plane. And what happened that night kind of was an indicator to me about how comfortable Davey was and how good he felt about what he had felt that day and what we had experienced with the race at New Hampshire because Davey's uh, kind of get out of a racing zone was getting in that airplane and flying that airplane home. And we got on that airplane, and it was Davey and, and Bobby and Sam Mance, which was Davy's pilot that flew always with Davy. Normally Davy flew left seat, Sam was in the right seat, and it was myself and Robert, I think it was Joey Knuckles, Raymond Fox, and Eli Gold actually was on the plane. Davy was going to drop Robert and Raymond and Joey and I off in, in Charlotte and, and then go on and fly to Hueytown with, with Bobby and Sam and with Eli Gold. Well, when we we got on the airplane, Davy told Bobby, "Fly with Sam. I'm gonna sit back here with the guys and have a beer." Very uncharacteristic of Davy, but that to me again, he must really feel good about what went on today, which I did too. So we 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 drank some beers in the back of the plane and cut up and flew back. And uh, Davy and I always talked on Monday, even if I flew home with him. I wanted him to kind of. to to let what happened during the day percolate and then call me or I'd call him at his shop on Monday morning. Again, nobody had cell phones back then. So when we landed in Charlotte at at Signature Aviation and I think they were going to get some fuel so we were standing outside the plane talking and Davey said, look can we wait until Tuesday to talk? He said because I'm going to fly the helicopter up to Talladega tomorrow Uh, David Bonnet Neil Bonnet's son is testing up there, I think it was an ARCA car, and he said, I think Neil's testing up there. I'm going to go up there. He said, I think Red and I, Red Farmer and I are going to fly up there. I said, yeah, just, just call me Tuesday morning, I'll be at the shop. So anyhow, we, we said our goodbyes and they took off and flew on back to Hueytown. So I can remember like it was yesterday. We had our Pocono car the surface plate area where we set our car up was just right outside a door that went into the offices where my office was Robert's office the receptionist and so anyhow Raymond Fox and I were right there on that surface plate working on the Pocono car weighing it out measuring it out doing whatever and Robert I had heard them page him to the phone and again didn't think nothing about it Robert got page to the phone a lot I'd get page to the phone so anyhow, I, I don't know exactly how long it was after I heard Robert get paid to the phone, but I saw the office door open, and and Robert came to the door. And he had on a white shirt, a, sh- a white shop shirt, and he absolutely, hit, his face was as white as that shirt. And his eyes were big, and, and he almost couldn't even speak. And he said, Larry, come into the office. I need to talk to you. I had no idea. So I I went in there and and he he just couldn't even, he was beside himself. He didn't know whether to stand up, sit down. He didn't know what to tell me. And it's like, Robert, what is up? And he said, Davey's in trouble. And I knew Davey periodically would say something to people or say something to the press that would kind of get himself in hot water. So I'm thinking, oh my God, what has he said? What has he done now? And Robert said, no, he's crashed that helicopter. And so, yeah, this, uh, I want to say it was around two or three o'clock Eastern time on Monday afternoon, and uh, we didn't have a lot of details. Uh, We didn't have a plane then with Robert Yates Racing, because again, we flew with with Davey a lot. So Felix Sabatis was good enough to fly uh, Robert and Carolyn, Carolyn Yates, and myself and my wife, Linda. We flew late that afternoon, early evening to Birmingham. And uh, went straight to the hospital and sat there in the waiting room, uh, just kind of waiting. And periodically, Liz, Davy's wife, would go back there and see him. um, And she came back out one time, and she says, Larry, do you want to go back there and see him? And I said, Liz, is he alert? And she said, he's not. And I said, I don't. I just, I just didn't have a good feeling. And I wanted to remember Davey like he was when he got off that airplane that night. I didn't want to see him with tubes and hoses and wires laying basically like a vegetable laying in an emergency room. And obviously later on that evening he passed away. So I was glad with my decision. If I felt like I could have went back there and he would have known who I was, I would have went back there in a heartbeat. I would have kicked the door off the hinges, but I just knew he was not there. Yeah, legally he was still alive, but he was not. And I just wanted to remember him That, like we saw him when he we he dropped us off in Charlotte.
4: Allison's close friend Brett Bodine remembers his own trepidation about the brand new helicopter
5: I was in uh, New England
2: uh, visiting some relatives uh, and uh, when I got the news and
5: uh, by the time I got to uh, Birmingham uh, Davey had already passed yeah it was a very very hard time and I I begged him not to get that damn helicopter I yeah. begged him not to he's a great pilot you know uh,
6: Aircraft, but uh, flying a helicopter was a different kettle of fish, and uh, I just lost a great friend.
5: Close friend, Kenny Wallace. I couldn't believe my ears. You know, Davey Allison killed in a helicopter wreck at the Talladega Speedway, and I'm like, what? You know, Davey was one of those drivers that I was incredibly close with. Uh, We were out of St. Louis, Missouri. We knew Bobby Allison very well through Don Miller. Don Miller, you know, he started Penske South with Roger Penske. And, uh, you know, and Bobby Allison, you know, drove for Penske. So that was our connection. We knew the Allisons years before my brother went NASCAR. We'd go to Birmingham, Alabama, run the racetrack. And, and you know, I had heard everything that had happened, you know. And uh, it was just, you know, just the worst. Uh, to this day, Liz Allison and I, hold a close bond because she knew that Davey and I talked a lot. You know, the wreck was horrific enough. Uh, you know, the helicopter, uh, you know, Davey trying to land the helicopter at, at a fast rate and he, could, he couldn't slow the helicopter down. The helicopter landed very harshly, flipped on its side and, you know, the rest is history. I won't go into, you know, the details, but, uh, you know, Red Farmer, you know, he survives. Davy, you know, passes away. You know, and what I remember about that time was we lost Rob Moroso in an auto accident. We lose Alan Kowicki and we lose Davy Allison. I mean, we, we lost three, not drivers, but I'm talking Hall of Fame, incredible drivers. That was a crazy time in our life you know we lost two to aviation alan quickie in an airplane davy Allison to a helicopter and uh, rob moroso you know in an auto accident right up here on 150 you know around mooresville north carolina and and when i look back on those days you know i think you know my gosh you know we all lived so fearlessly you know money was flowing we were all buying everything but when i think of my life with davy davy was so raw so normal to me davy and me had a unique relationship where davy was big time but he was my friend and he didn't he didn't think of me any differently he we were totally normal around each other and and i think that's why we got along so well for
4: kyle petty davy allison was family
7: i wasn't close close to davy but i was in a different way because davy and i had grown up together We'd grown up at the same hotel, swimming in the same pool, arguing about whose father was a better race car driver, getting thrown out of the garage area by Bill Gassaway, but hiding in the back of each other's trucks. I'd hide with him. He'd hide with me over in our truck if Gazaway was check chasing trucks and stuff when we were 9, 10, 11 years old, just like with Ricky and Larry Pearson and, and all those guys. So um, for me, it was sad because I looked at Davey As more so than Alan even though Alan and I were close in age Davey was more like a cousin it's like you lost a member of your family Um, and I was really hurt for Bobby and Judy and for Carrie and Bonnie uh, especially and Clifford at the time um, because I knew how close all those were you don't I don't think people understand the Allisons and they're they're a funny funny group where I mean we go Daytona And it was Bobby and well it was Donnie and Pat and then Ronald and Donald and Pam and Kenny and then all the all of Bobby's crowd so right with just two drivers and their families you had about 10 or 12 people right well then you throw in Eddie and all his kids Mike and and Eddie Junior you throw in all that crowd and you throw in the sisters and you throw in mom and pop Allison Next thing you know, there's no seats at the, at the swimming pool when you're a kid because they're all Allison's on that side of the pool, you know what I mean?
4: With heavy hearts, Cup teams soldiered on to Pocono Raceway for the Miller 500. The weekend proceeded as usual, but the garage was conspicuously missing the Yates Racing number 2018.
1: They will run the Miller 500 at Pocono International Raceway in Pennsylvania today. The grandstands are full, the sun is shining, the festival-like colors are rich and brilliant, but hearts are heavy. A member of the family is gone. At 32 years old, Davy Allison died on Tuesday morning in his native Alabama, the victim of a tragic helicopter accident the day before.
2: I'm sure Davey was very ticked off at us because we did not go to Pocono. He probably looked down at us and said, you weak dogs, I cannot believe y'all because Davey Allison was the biggest role model to me walking the face of the earth about grit and determination. I remember when Clifford got killed in a practice crash in Xfinity series car in August of 1992, Davey was already up in Michigan. We had not left to go to Michigan yet. And when we finally got to Michigan and we finally got in touch with Davey late that night, Robert and I, it's like, Davey, what do you want to do? And he says, what do you mean? What do I want to do? Well, who do you want to get to drive this race car? He said, let me tell you something. Yeah, I lost my brother today and it's, it's put a hole in me that burns when the wind blows, but I'm here to do a job and we're going to win this race on Sunday and then we're going to go home and then we'll bury my brother on Monday and that just was, that's the Allison way.
4: Following his victory in New Hampshire just one week prior, Rusty Wallace felt he was back on track and ready to cut into Dale Earnhardt's 250-point lead at Pocono.
0: You know, racers will be racers. Once you get in a car and you hit the ignition switch, off you go, and once I got in a car and hit the ignition and it came obvious we had a really good car again, Then it was, then it was the recover mode. We're back trying to gain the points that we lost all year long and trying to get back in the hunt and trying to, that's what our mind went to. I mean, once you hear 43 cars back then light up and they're screaming around the racetrack, uh, when you're when everything's quiet and you got time to reflect, that's when you're thinking about the accident with Davey and how you lost one of your best friends and a comrade. But when the race is going on, you're thinking about the car and you're thinking about what's going on in the job in hand right then. That's what I was probably thinking of. And, uh, but to have another second place finish, that was a great great points day again. Although the guy I'm racing is Earnhardt and he wins the race. So you're not really gaining on him, but you're getting yourself out of a hole also.
1: It's not been his best racetrack over the years, but today he loves it just fine, thank you. Dale Earnhardt, for the second time in his career, winning at Pocono, his fifth win of the 1993 NASCAR Winston Cup season. Rusty Wallace, a solid second place finish.
4: After taking the checkers in the Pocono Mountains, Earnhardt paid tribute to the late Davy Allison flying the number 28 flag out the driver window as he slowly paced around the 2.5-mile circuit.
8: Dale, I don't know what to say, but that's, uh, first of all, the out on out on the racetrack afterwards uh, with the flag and, and the whole crew and stuff, was that prearranged or they just set that up or whatever it was, That's that was pretty neat. Well, we didn't know whether we'd win or not, but uh, you know, Rusty was ready, he had a flag in his car and the crew had one in the pits, and we came around and uh, pulled to the line and said a prayer for Dave and Dave's family and Liz and all the kids, and, then took a tribute lap for uh, Davey, in remembrance of Davey and uh, Alan. Uh, you know, it's been a tough year losing uh, good friends and uh, good racers like that, and, and I'd run second to him today David bring him back, I swear, it's, you know, we're gonna miss him. Uh, he's awful competitive. I, I raced him hard and had a lot of hard races against him, but uh, I want him back. Dale Earnhardt's crew chief,
9: Andy Petrie. I mean, Davey was an amazing rising star in the sport, and and uh, we were. he was a tough competitor for us that year. And, but it really affected Dale, um, you know, to lose him. I don't know how close he was with Davey, but, it, you know, I, I remember we won Pocono the next week. And one of the guys on our crew made a flag, a 28 flag, for him to carry around at, at, after we won. We met at the start-finish line and said a prayer for Davey, and, and he carried that flag around the track.
4: As fate would have it, the next stop on the schedule was Talladega Super Speedway the scene of Davy Allison's fatal helicopter crash just two weeks prior. Allison's crew chief, Larry McReynolds, remembers the tough decisions that team owner
2: Robert Yates made that week. Robert and I had communicated a lot over the weekend because we've got to make a decision of all places, dear God, we have to go to Talladega next week, of all places, the place where he was just killed the week before. And I think through some help with Ford, uh, we decided for that race to put Robbie Gordon in the car, you know, and I think Robbie was an excellent choice because even though Robbie knew Davey and knew the circumstances, he wasn't close to the circumstance. So I think he could go down there and deal with what we were gonna have to deal with. Again, we could have went to any track other than Talladega on the circuit, but unfortunately that was the next race, was Talladega. And you know, I remember, Robbie got wrecked early in the race
6: trouble in the trouble. Robbie Gordon is out of control slams into the outside wall bounces off caution comes out of the racetrack here comes about half the field behind him they're gonna have to dive down to the bottom of the speedway Robbie does a good job of keeping it locked up
2: the car was torn up pretty well but not beyond repair and I remember the wrecker driving it in the garage area and I kind of looked at Robert, Robert kind of looked at me. We both were thinking the same thing. Let's just load this thing up and go home. Let's get out of here, even though it was fixable. And trust me, if something was fixable, that 28 crew, myself, Robert, and that whole crew, we, were, we would find a way to fix it. We, even if we only got out there and ran the last two laps of the race, but it just was one of those deals where I think the best thing to do is say it's not fixable. Let's put it in a hauler. Let's go back home and let's figure out what we want to do moving forward. The
4: 1993 Die Hard 500 at Talladega saw the return of veteran driver Neil Bonnet, who had been on a NASCAR hiatus for over three years.
6: Neil Bonnet getting last second compliments from Dale Jarrett. I tell you what, Neil, I don't believe there's anybody any happier in the state of Alabama and maybe in these United States than Neil Bonnet today. Your thoughts as you climb back in a car?
9: Well, you know, it's been a long time and I- I can't thank Richard Chiller's organization, the guys back at the shop. The effort they went out to do this, you know, they didn't have anything to gain other than let me come in and have a good time and a lot of mixed emotions, you know, some of the things that's happened the last couple of weeks, and I think this is probably the best thing that's going to happen to help me get over that, just climbing this race car and have some fun today.
4: Dale Earnhardt's crew chief, Andy Petrie.
9: <clears throat> we only had two Speedway cars. We had a primary and a backup, and, you know, Dale hated testing. I mean, he just, it was like trying to, you know, pull teeth to get him to go and so i finally started using neil was didn't have a ride he wanted to be in a race car he didn't mind testing you know so i'd I'd just call neil when i wanted to go you know test somewhere and it was unlimited back then so we tested a lot and so we probably did four or five tests at talladega that year with neil and i mean we would run and run i mean we'd run 500 miles sometimes in these tests and just wear neil out you know And so I remember, we were at the the test before this event, and I, I told Neil I said I got an idea that I want to run by Childress, I don't know if he'll buy it or not, but we'll we'll let you drive this car in the race, the one of the backup car. Uh, it'll be our backup, so if something happens to ours, you you'll be out of one. But if if we get through the week, you know, the weekend, and don't mess, mess up the our primary, then, you know, you'll be in the backup car. And uh, Childress bought it, <laughs> and so. He actually sold it. I think sold some sponsorship on it and everything, so it made it work for for us really good, and and uh, you know really made Neil happy because he was just itching to get back in a car, and uh, I remember that. I was kind of second-guessing that decision when I saw him flipping through the infield.
1: One car flips in the air, knocks up against the outside retaining wall, and there's flames from behind one. It was Neil Bonnet's car that flipped in the air. He collected the Ted Musgrave car, who apparently has lost part of the fuel cell with flames trailing from behind that car. But Neil Bonnet took a wild ride here on the main straightaway. I'm with Neil Bonnet. He's walked out of the infield care center under his own power. Neil, you've got a
5: sling on your arm there, standing here looking at the wreckage of uh, what used to be the number 31 mom and pops good Wrench
9: chevrolet uh, first uh, tell me about your injuries well i just hit hit something with my arm and got a big bruise on my arm but i guess it's a pretty good indication they don't build just fast race cars they're pretty damn safe too car took a pretty good lick and you know, I, I feel good. The car really held up good for the lick it took. I'm telling you, they do a great job with it.
4: Another scary and unusual crash unfolded on lap 70.
1: Jimmy Horton's car was also involved, and Horton's car, I believe, is the one that left the track altogether. Indeed it is. Jimmy Horton's car flipped totally out of the racetrack, ended up on its hood, and uh, it looks as though Horton is uh, being tended to now. He is out of the race car. The safety crew has put his helmet back in the car. But what I thought, Barney, was sheet metal going over the outside retaining wall was an entire race car.
5: Jimmy, what happened out there? First, we can tell that you're all right. Yeah, we're okay. You know, um,
8: uh, I saw the 40 car get sideways. I tried to get away from it. Somebody got me in the right rear quarter panel and that was, the show was over. You went for quite a ride up there. <laughs> right, I don't like to make, but, you know, was, cars are built safe, you know, when you can walk away from them like this, we'll
4: race again. Team Penske driver Rusty Wallace.
0: Yes, I remember Jimmy Horton going in the, I think it was between turn one and two, I believe, and to go over outside the racetrack. I mean, that was like a doggone Days of Thunder thing or some type of stunt they would do in Hollywood. He climbs the wall and goes outside the racetrack, flips out of the racetrack. That was incredible. I can't believe that even happened, but it did.
4: <laughs> Sabco Racing driver, Kyle Petty.
7: You just don't expect that at Talladega. It, it, the odd, look, I've been in races where Blackie Wangren went over the wall in turn three at, at, at Michigan, long many years ago when Michigan had a guardrail. Listen, let me just say this too. Today I'm only 57, but it sounds like I'm, I'm 875 years old. <laughs> to be around this thing but um i think it was weird when horton went over it but it was just the way he hit the way he got hit the way everything happened and you know we we would see that today with the way these cars get up and get light and and get touched and can get up in the air and we've seen it on the front stretch and we've seen it different places you would see it again today uh but at that time with those lug cars we were running yeah that was a that was a freak deal a very freak accident
4: fellow sabco racing driver kenny wallace was also involved in the melee
5: and remembers watching the tv highlights later that evening my my dear friend uh we called him dues d-u-z dues was the crew chief his real name was steve duslanisky uh and and dues ended up working on uh, my red dog xfinity car a funny funny man well he was not the crew chief for horton but when horton went over the wall in 1 and two at talladega uh, horton's team just skedaddled and tv came and said are, are you on uh you know the 32 car and, and the dudes has got a northern accent he goes yeah i'm on the 32 car and he goes oh well what is your driver saying <laughs> and deuce goes well right now we are out of temporary communication with the driver <laughs> To this day, to this day, when we're having parties, we all go, Hey, dudes, what happened to your driver at Talladega? Well, right now, we are out of temporary communication. and And Horton flies over the wall. I mean, there's no doubt that Horton's wreck was by far a highlight in Talladega history. I don't know if anybody had ever flown out of the Talladega Speedway over the wall, and he did it. And so I remember that that highlight reel but I forgot I was in that wreck. As the checkers flew over the 2.66 mile trioval,
4: Ernie Irvin and Dale Earnhardt crossed the stripe in a dramatic photo finish.
1: Three wide as they enter the corner Ernie Irvin to the bottom of the racetrack now it thins out to two by two it's Irvin to the inside up high is Dale Earnhardt lap traffic ahead Ernie Irvin with maybe a foot on Dale Earnhardt off the corner side by side for the lead of the diehard 500. Here comes Mark Martin he'll try and tuck it right behind Ernie Irvin but it's going to be Irvin and Earnhardt settling it. Irvin goes to the low side of the racetrack. Earnhardt force high. Here they come to the stripe. It's going to be a dead heat at the line. Earnhardt by about two inches the way we see it pending the NASCAR final photo finish camera.
9: It's just, it's just I, love, I love those races when Earnhardt's racing for the win at Talladega. You don't even need to to be able to see it. All you got to do is watch, I, we would just kind of fixate on the stands and watch the crowd and you could tell when we were taking the lead. You could tell when he was doing something. And so as they, they come down for the, for the finish, you know, the start finish line being so far down you can't see it good enough to know and so they go out of sight and know they're side by side you don't know who one. but was on the radio going I, I beat him i beat him i beat him <laughs> i don't know how he knew because it was only just a few inches looked like to me but he knew he knew he'd won the sixth win you're a talladega well everyone's
8: sweet uh as you get older and uh you know you start to take all this in a little more and uh it's really enjoyable to see all these race fans come out here and support these people and especially the allison family with all their problems and sorrow and losing davy and you know it was just a great day for everybody i just uh hope everybody keep davy close to Nars.
7: well
1: last year it uh, wasn't so good did you expect this many wins though this part of the season
8: well uh i don't know we we're just racing we're going after each race and uh, try to get all we can and uh, more points and we gained a few on dale today i don't know where he ended up but uh, you know, we got to, that's what you got to do each race. You got to just go after what you can get. Uh, we're going to take a couple of days off now. Morgan McClure Racing's
2: Ernie Irvin. It was one of them races that kind of get away from you. It's like, man, I was so close to winning, but yet I didn't. So um, there's, there was a lot of races in that season that was like that. Um, but I remember that that some of our downfall that season was we would come in top three, and go out eighth, ninth, tenth, you know. So then, then you work really hard to get back to top three again, and then you end up having problems with the pit stops. And, and so that the, that was a tough race. Um, all the all the races like that.
4: The next stop on the schedule took the Cup Series teams to the Finger Lakes region of upstate New York and Watkins Glen International. In Friday's qualifying session on the two and a half mile road course. Mark Martin laid a lap down that, according to him,
3: was euphoric. I gotta tell you, you know, uh, my car was so much faster than everybody else's, it was stupid. It was just, that wasn't me. I mean, I was, as a wheelman, I was probably at the top of my game. I won't, of my life. I mean, but that car, they had decided to lighten that car up and they whacked a lot of structural bars out of the car and it was extremely flimsy and everything was just happy. You know, with big old front springs, I don't know, I think we run 12 or, I mean, we run some big 1200s or more in the front, I mean, because it was so flexy and all, but it was ridiculously fast and yeah it was very euphoric when i stepped out of that car after qualifying and they told me what what i'd run you know it was the feeling was euphoric for sure
1: just put on his helmet mark martin uh, it's been this week the bush pole winner has been mark martin and then the rest 119.118 miles per hour mark a sensational lap yeah it was just uh, one of those
3: laps i don't know what happened we just got around there really fast and uh... We're looking forward to this race. We really don't know what's going to happen until we get along in it and see, uh, you know, see how the car works in the long run. Down the line, the Budweiser at the is underway.
4: As the 90-lap clash unfolded, Martin's car was clearly superior as he led 47 circuits. But trouble on pit road proved to be Roush Racing's Achilles' heel nearly spoiling the otherwise stellar performance.
1: park Martin again has trouble on the pit lane, and five or six cars go by him. Elliot's out of the pits in front of him. All the cars going out as Martin still sits on the pit lane.
3: All right, well, let me just, let me just tell you that this is the same every race. It's the same thing. Something goes wrong in every race. And it's been going wrong in every race so you have to understand that i mean it's not like well we just had a problem this it's this week it's this next week it's that this week, you know i mean we run out of gas we always run out of gas when we don't run out of gas we break an engine or when we don't break an engine something else goes wrong or you know what you know it's just we had always been plagued with just so much stuff so we're running like i mean we are rolling and robin pemberton would be the guy to give you the exact, I don't. I wasn't standing there looking, so I, I can't tell you exactly. But um, they ran. He rounded. He was a rear tire changer. Pretty sure his rear uh, rounded off a lug nut on the right rear. I think it's right rear. One of the rears, and it rounded it off so bad they couldn't get it off. I mean, couldn't even get it
1: off. Couldn't change the tire. Mark Martin still sits on the pit lane. It is the right rear tire. They had a lug that evidently jammed on the right rear hub of the car. And now they're just out getting that tire changed. They had to bring out the a power handle to take off the lug nuts. They're gonna go around now and change the left side tires of the Martin car.
6: And that may drop Mark all the way back to about 25th. He would be the last car being posted on the lead lap. And as Steve Meal told us a little bit earlier, not been a good day in the pits for Mark Martin.
3: And I may be exaggerating, but I think that we didn't change a tire again the rest of the race because of that. I think we had we made our way back up close to the front and had to have another pit stop and went back to the middle of the pack again and stormed up. And uh, I'm assuming this is the race where we stormed back up near the front, had another pit stop after the devastating pit stop and come back out and then back and we're storming back up to the front. And I've got uh, Kyle leading and Earnhardt running second and I'm I'm mowing them down. Tay
6: who's really coming up through the field. We told you earlier in our broadcast, if you've been with us all day, that Mark Martin with that pit stop that got kind of crossed up there, put him back starting in about 24th or 25th position. We look at the scoring monitor now. He is up to fourth.
3: And uh, Earnhardt tags Kyle uh, in turn two.
6: Dale's hoping that Kyle will go wide, and Kyle
1: loses it in turn two. The bellow yellow Pontiac spins completely around. He collects Earnhardt in turn number three.
7: Yeah, wreck. Well, we stayed out when everybody else pitted. Uh, So obviously our tires and stuff were a little bit different. Um, And got in the corner and slid. And when I corrected, I corrected up over the curb. Um, When it loaded the left rear and then it just caught (laughs) and hit the curb. It was funny, man. I was like, well, that was a good one. And um, then I'm on the other side of the racetrack and can't get back. So I have to catch a ride with Dale Jarrett. Um, So I'm in his car and he pulls down pit road and lets me out. That wouldn't go over today too much. Uh, But that was... Totally driver error. You know, I I got in there just a little bit too hard, uh, and when I went to cut right into the first part of the S's and start up the hill, I just ran over the curb. Mark Martin is all by
0: himself on the back straightaway as the rest of the field tries to fight their way, not only through the accident scene, but back
1: around to the caution flag. He's been quickest all week, and he's battled back from a tough pit stop and a 25th place run to take it here at Watkins Glen. Checkered flag, Mark Martin wins.
3: So we wind up winning the race looking into it, which never happens. We always look out of them. Always, you know, at this time, I mean, we're just always having stuff go against us. And so one, one you know, we finally went our way. The trophy from the race had a, the rounded off lug nut, safety wired to it.
4: The win was the first of the season for Martin and Roush Racing, and it wouldn't be the last. The next week, teams rolled into the Irish Hills for the champion Spark Plug 400 at Michigan International Speedway. Ricky Rudd claimed victory at the two-mile oval in June and was going for the sweep. But engine trouble halfway through the 200-lap clash sent his Chevrolet to the garage.
1: Say, leading as many laps as Ricky has today, uh, 15 of the first 17 laps, then uh, from laps 26 through 66, then again lap 71 through 84, he was the dominant car early.
6: You know, I didn't really remember that till we just started talking about it, and uh, I do remember that because I remember the first race. You know, we weren't going to win it. You know, it was Mark's race. I can't remember exactly, like, like say, what happened to him. He, he was a dominant car uh but the the same was true the second go around at michigan uh we were the dominant car with a hendrix uh, uh, number five and the tide car was the dominant car that day and led like i say most of the laps it was just it was one of those days that doesn't come along very often at least it didn't for me that you had a dominant car that ran that strong all day and then uh, all of a sudden we had an engine failure i think is what, what put us out and and that was sort of the sort of par for that particular year we ran good uh should have been much higher in the points we broke a lot of engines, and there's. A lot of reasons why that happened, that was back in the beginning of the CNC machinery program that cranked up at Hendricks, which was the leader in that, uh, and a lot of experimental cylinder heads and block pieces that were being machined, uh, for some reason they used our car to experiment on that year, and it, and it showed up, a lot of DNS because the engine failures that year.
4: With Rudd officially retired from competition, Mark Martin took command. But drama was lurking close by as the Roush Racing Ford ran dry of fuel. Something has happened to the second place car.
6: Mark Martin is off the pace. He dropped down to the inside on the back straightaway. The car was not under power. It
1: was kind of sputtering when it came by. Is it possible he's run out of fuel again? Remember, he told us on the pre-race that they really haven't solved what they thought was the fuel usage problem that might have cost them the race here in June.
3: We ran out of gas all the time. I mean, you know, all the time. And Jack always said that they didn't get it full, and Steve and Robin always said Jack didn't know how to figure fuel mileage. So I don't know what the story was, but we ran—I mean, we ran out
1: of gas all the time.
4: Martin ultimately recovered from the miscalculation and drove on to win his second race in a row.
1: In the last six races, Mark Martin has gone from 12th to fourth in Winston Cup points. Jack, uh, you guys started smiling with about two laps to go. It must have felt pretty good.
3: Yeah, we were pretty nervous
0: about it. First, I hoped it wouldn't rain and then I hoped it would rain. I changed my mind on that about three times. We'd worked on her fuel mileage and I thought we had pretty good. In fact, it was better than we run him out of gas again. So we were up and down all day. He was really good in the car. The the guys were awesome on pit road. The pit stops were the best we've had all year and were certainly as good as anybody else had today.
1: Mark, uh, this has got to make up a little bit for what happened last year. I guess Uh, those those days are gone,
6: but uh couple in a row here. Seems like things are turned around for you.
3: Yeah, you know, uh, we're on the fortunate side of luck right now. Things are kind of going our way. Uh, Ricky Rudd was trying to show that last time wasn't a fluke. He was really hooked up today and running strong and had trouble. And The Valvoline team was good. That last set of Goodyear radials, uh, man, they were sweet. And We just kind of turned it loose.
4: Join us next week on MRN Presents, the 1993 season, 25 years later. NASCAR visits the hallowed grounds of Indianapolis Motor Speedway, and Mark Martin continues his winning streak. Mark Martin makes it four wins in a row.
3: I didn't realize when I won it because we were on such a roll that I, 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 it never ever, it, it was 10 years or 15 probably before I realized that I had won the
7: Southern 500.
4: Until then, I'm Susie Armstrong. Have a great week.
7: Today's program was a presentation of the Motor Racing Network with studios in Concord,
2: North Carolina and Daytona Beach, Florida. The 1993 season, 25 years later, was written and produced by Rich Colbert. Any use of the accounts or descriptions contained in this broadcast must be with the express written permission of NASCAR and the Motor Racing Network.